Welcome to The Hoop Commitment. I'm your host, Mike Nielsen. Join me every week to get inside the greatest minds in basketball nutrition, training, and leadership to elevate your game and improve the way you eat, train, and lead. Welcome to episode 91. Now we're in the middle of a heat wave here in Spokane with temperatures reaching 110 degrees this week. And I was hoping to give you some updates on my son Carter's Summer League playoffs. But with it being so hot in the gym, games have been postponed a week. But for all you brave in the heat, you're in luck because I've got one of the coolest dudes on the show today. Eric McClellan is a zag through and through, earning WCC Defensive Player of the Year honors in 2016. And for the last seven years, he's been playing professionally overseas. And I pay close attention to the way he takes care of his body and approaches his workout when he comes home in the offseason. And so I thought it would be valuable for aspiring hoopers to hear his attention to detail. And I'm such a believer in Eric that I've been having him work with Carter in hopes that his passion for the game and the way that he treats people will influence and rub off on my son. Here's Eric McClellan. Easy. Welcome to the Hoop Commitment Podcast. How you doing? Monster Mike. It's a pleasure to pleasure to be here, man. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Well, I'm excited that you're part of the Zeg Brotherhood. You're an old guy like me now, although one of the younger old guys. And so thankful that you're mentoring my son Carter and showing them the ins and outs of hoops. And so today I wanted to start off from the beginning and hear your basketball journey, how you made it to Gonzaga. Yeah, man. Well, uh, first and foremost, again, thank you for having me. I wear that uh, the OG badge with honor. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be called an old head now, five years removed. But um, yeah, before we dive in, if any of these tangents uh, gets too long-winded, please, please stop me, man, because I don't want to just go on on rants and uh, I know we're on a podcast and we're here to speak and communicate but if it's ever long-winded please don't don't hesitate to stop me all right so I'm from Austin Texas born and raised started playing basketball when I was three we jumped around a bunch moving just around the city I was one of those kids I was socially awkward but I was myself I went through different phases of my life just trying to find myself through you know my personality and my insecurities and being a product of my environment. I was never the most talented kid. I was always that uh, that skinny kid with big feet and like long arms that <laughs> hadn't necessarily grown into his body, but I just loved the game. As cliche as it sounds, and I'm, I'm beating a dead horse, especially after his uh, tragic passing, but you know, Kobe, just watching Kobe being introduced to, to him. I remember us as a family just being surrounded by the TV, you know, late night watching him play. And he kind of sparked the obsession. I was that kid that if I couldn't find any friends to play with, I would go to the court by myself. I loved the game. I, was, I wasn't good at it, but I loved it. The, the passion grew and grew. You know, I started coming into my own in terms of my personality and my individualism. My game caught up to my body, but that was only through, you know, rigorous and ridiculous work ethic and, and work and discipline. But there's, there's a lot to be said for just passion right because we read stories all the time about you know individuals who aren't as talented or they don't have uh, this resource or that resource or they come from certain circumstances but they they still prevail that would be you know one of my messages to kids you know just growing up and I mean whatever your inspirations are 
you know, you can do anything and everything you put your mind to. But high school, I didn't play. I didn't play my freshman year in high school. I didn't play my eighth grade year, mainly due to off the court issues and academics or lack thereof. My sophomore year is when things started to click for me. I ended up starting on varsity my sophomore year, just kind of weaning out what what wasn't serving me, what wasn't fulfilling me, what what wasn't serving my my purpose, uh, my higher version of myself or what I wanted it to be. Those two or three years in high school, you know, really served as building blocks for me because I started to figure out who I wanted to become, who I wanted to be, and if I was really serious in basketball. And that attitude, the beautiful people placed around me, I mean, all the experiences, all the mistakes, it's led me to be the, the human being I am today, and I'm, I'm very proud of myself. What does that look like not playing basketball, eighth grade, ninth grade? You're not taking care of business in the classroom, maybe not being your best self. Who helped you turn it around, and what was that process like? So my mother was raising four of us, a single mother, three boys, and, and one girl. And we were all getting in those teenage years. And you know those teenage years, the teenagers always think they know what's best for themselves or uh, they <laughs> – they think, you know, they have all the answers. And uh, that was the case with us. You know, we grew up pretty fast. You know, I always thought I loved basketball until, you know, my actions weren't aligning with what my goals were. I mean, I knew right from wrong, but I thought I could just show up and play basketball. And needless to say, that's never the case. Everything has its balance, right? You can't get one without the other. For every action, there's a reaction. I wasn't bad academically, but I was just a class clown. I was a, you know, I, I like to make people laugh. I, at that time, I enjoyed being a center of intention because of insecurities, right? I was insecure. And those moments in time allowed me or didn't allow me to pursue basketball at that time. And I was, you know, I reaped the consequences of my actions. If I wasn't aware and intention or intentional about, you know, having to assess what I was going through or what I've been through or what I was doing not only harm, harming others, but harming myself as well. There's no Eric McClellan at Gonzaga. There's no Eric McClellan going to college. There's no Eric McClellan today as the, the young man I am today. So my mother, she raised us, you know, she raised us to be respectful, to be genuine, to be loving, to be kind, all the core values that you would want, you know, in a, in a human being. But Again, we're a product of our environment. So, you know, hanging around the wrong group or misbehaving out of lack of attention or anything, man. You know what I mean? And I had a great life growing up. I was surrounded by people who loved and cared about me. So during that time, eighth and ninth grade year, you know, I was doing things that I wasn't supposed to be doing. And there was a time where I was I was failing two or three classes. And I had to go to summer school going into my sophomore year. And I had to have a, you know, honest conversation with myself. And I had to assess what I wanted to do with this because I wasn't serious. I wasn't serious about basketball. As much as I thought I was, I simply wasn't because I wasn't doing the necessary things in order to get where I wanted to go. There was just a lack of awareness. And for me, there was a lack of direction as well because I didn't know what a Division I college basketball player looked like. I didn't know what an NBA player looked like. I stayed in Slam magazines and I stayed on YouTube watching highlights and all these things. But I didn't have the example right in front of me where I can just go up and ask a guy like, what did you do? A, B, C, D, E, F, G to get to where you are. I didn't have that. So 
I had to bump my head a couple of times and I had to persist through the bumps in the road. And when I stopped making mistakes of others and started making mistakes for myself, I started to realize a lot of things. Right. And what I mean by that is, you know, I had to cut off people who wasn't serving my highest purpose. You know, I couldn't hang out with the friends that I have in the past because the, the same things were happening over and over and over. You know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. So I had to make a change. And that was tough for me at the age of 15. Right. I'm entering high school, a different level of freedom, different environment, different people. But if I was serious about it, I had to say no to things. I had to. And when I started to get my act together, that's when things started to click for me. So when did you know that you wanted to be a college basketball player? Was that about the time that you kind of straightened your life out or has it always been that way? I always knew I wanted to be the best basketball player I could. When it became real for me was my ninth grade year. And this is when technically I'm really I'm, I'm not good at basketball. So I joined the ANU team. They kind of <laughs> poached me away from my previous ANU team in which I felt super comfortable and, you know, I was quote unquote the best player and this team was the best, you know, best team in Austin. So they kind of poached me from them and I viewed it as an opportunity to play with the best players. So my eighth grade year, I played with them. My ninth grade year, I played with them as well. And I was super insecure about my game because all these guys were so much more mature than me, man. They were, they had muscles, they could touch the rim, they can bench 145, you know, they could run out of the gym. I mean, I'm telling you, every athletic advantage. I couldn't believe how fast, like, these guys were maturing. Like, seventh, eighth grade, like, half my team is dunking. You know, I'm, like, five, six, 130 pounds soaking wet. I mean, just athletically gifted. I was super insecure, man. And, you know, at that time, I needed positive reinforcement. So this is my eighth grade year going into my ninth grade year. We go into one of the biggest tournaments of the, of the summer. I think it was our last tournament of the summer. Uh, I think it was in Dallas. It's probably a, a gas or a great American shootout. I want to say it was in Dallas and, you know, scouts are there, basketball publications are there, but my head coach isn't there. And my head coach, he wasn't good about giving me positive reinforcement at that time. He was just, you know, he expected us to be great, you know, and I wasn't that I lacked confidence. And that wasn't me, but that's been me for like a year and a half just because I'm around all these guys that are just superior to me athletically and skill wise. So he doesn't make the trip. He's sick. And our assistant coach, he coaches the entire tournament. And the assistant coach, he's the complete opposite. He's always giving me uh, giving me nuggets of advice, always giving me positive affirmations, always in my corner. Right. He's always settling me down. So I go in that tournament and I play the best I've ever played in my life. And going back home, I remember I wasn't into this stuff at all. But one of my friends said, uh, you should look on Texas Hoops. So Texas Hoops was rivals. So like they would have all the rankings and stuff. So they had the rankings for the freshmen going into high school in all of Texas. So I get on there and I'm like 56 in the state. And I started crying. I just like. My heart dropped in my stomach, like, because I couldn't believe it. This, I haven't had a good tournament all summer. I lacked confidence. I was super insecure about myself. I didn't think I was up to par with most of the guys that I was playing against or with. 
And then I look at that, that ranking and I'm 56 in the state off of one tournament. And I just started crying, man. And then that's when it was like, okay, that's when it became real in my mind. Like, okay, I could possibly do this. I could actually possibly do this. And not that you need that instant gratification, but for me, I did need that. I needed to see my name. I needed to see an article where, you know, my strengths were, my weaknesses, the tournament that I had. I needed to see those positive words. And that lit, like that lit a fire under me, like, okay, this is serious. I could actually do this. And going into my ninth grade year, obviously I didn't play. And that's because I felt as though my itch didn't stink. And I had to learn, no, it does. Like, you're, there's nothing special about you. You're not entitled to anything. No one owes you anything. You haven't done anything. Like, who are you to just show up and think, like, you know, everything is kosher? But those are the obstacles and challenges that were meant for me. Like, they, they weren't there. And at the time, I didn't understand. But now I understand those obstacles and challenges are there to, to serve you. They're not there to derail you. They're there to help you. And, uh, but yeah, my ninth grade year, my, my eighth grade summer going to my ninth grade year, that's when it became real for me and it wasn't a straight shot from high school to gonzaga you made a couple other stops on the road tell me about that journey yeah so i didn't receive my offers until april of my senior year so i received four offers one from tulane one from wichita state one from northeastern and one from tulsa those are my four offers and i'm assuming knowing what i know now that the schools missed out on the guys that they were recruiting at first. And then, you know, I had a really good senior year. Uh, my team was really good. And we played 5A in Texas. And, you know, we were, we were adequate. We were an adequate group. So I'm assuming those schools, those coaches, they missed out on guys that they were recruiting uh, at the preset. But I go on a visit to Northeastern, and I go on a visit to Wichita State, but I don't go to Tulane. So in Texas, the year prior – was this guy named Jordan Clarkson. He's from San Antonio. And I kind of grew up watching him just because he's right down the street, Austin and San Antonio. They're about 45 minutes uh, to an hour within each other. And I, I just remember watching this dude play. It's just like, man. And this is when I started getting into like all the rankings and stuff. So I would, every tournament he was in, I would look like, <laughs> I would look to see what he did. And he was like number, they had him number two or number three in, and uh, in the state and coming out of high school, he wasn't highly recruited as well. He went to Tulsa. So when Tulsa offered me, I'm like, okay, I already know where I'm going. I already know where I'm going. I'm going to Tulsa. In my mind, I'm like, if Tulsa can get a player like this and they want me, what better way to learn from, from this guy than anywhere else? And to be honest, I didn't feel comfortable anywhere else on my visit there. I felt comfortable with every single player, staff, personnel-wise, the environment, the campus, everything just felt right. But I knew when they offered me, I was going to go there. So I attend Tulsa, and Jordan is just, you know, he's 19 at the time. He's, he's a sophomore. I, like I said before, like I alluded to before, I didn't know what an NBA player looked like. But going against him every single day, and seeing his work ethic and seeing how he took care of his body, just seeing how competitive he was. I remember telling myself, I don't know what an NBA player looks like. He has to be the closest thing because he could do everything. He could shoot. He could dribble. He could read a pick and roll. 
he could defend. He was athletic. He was fast. Uh, he was competitive. I mean, he could do everything. So I get through my first year with Tulsa, and me and Jordan decide to transfer. And the only reason why I decided to transfer was because they, they fired my coaching staff. And I didn't know anything about the transfer port, uh, portal. And the, really, the only reason why I did it was because Jordan advised it. He's like, you know, you had a good freshman year. You have eyes open now. And I just did it off a whim, not knowing that I could possibly, like, lose eligibility. What if a school didn't want me? I could be back in Austin flipping burgers. I could be doing anything. So I, I do that off a whim. Jordan ends up going to Missouri. And then I had offers from places that I couldn't even imagine. I had offers from Florida State, Texas A&M, Texas Tech, obviously Vanderbilt, Syracuse, UConn, uh, Wisconsin didn't offer, uh, Oklahoma didn't offer. But all these schools that didn't know me, didn't, you know, show me a look in high school, all these schools are interested and or offered me. So my first visit was Vandy, and uh, I just loved it, man. I loved it. I committed on the spot. My mom was extremely proud. So I spent two years there. My sophomore year, the best basketball I was playing, the best. Going into my junior year, my red shirt, sophomore year, uh, where I'll be eligible, I felt super comfortable. I was our starting point guard. It was good. I was our lead scorer. I had a couple big games. Uh, I had a good tournament down the Virgin Islands as well. The thing that bit me was I had – you know, I had committed a misdemeanor the, the summer prior and no one knew about it. My my mother was the only one that knew about it. And we were taking care of it and we were diligent about it, but we were also pretty secretive about it as well. So I guess some beat writer was doing his due diligence and it came to light that, you know, I had stolen a couple of shirts out of Macy's. I've never I never got arrested, but they cited me. Right. So. When they cited me, I had to appear, you know, I had to appear in court. And what I had to do was 30 hours of community service and it was, you know, expunged my record. Well, my coach got wind of it and he didn't like that very much. And uh, I also had, at the time, I also had, I don't know what it's called off the top of my head, but basically I, pl uh, I plagiarized on a paper unintentionally, but in their eyes, you know, ignorance isn't a, uh, it's not an excuse. But it was a 20 page paper and, you know, I miscited about four sources. So at the time it was a double whammy. I remember we were playing Alabama and I couldn't attend because I kind of had this meeting with uh, with student council. So they ended up uh, suspending me for a semester. So the plan was for me to do my semester at home and come back that summer. Well, when I didn't show up for the Alabama game. Uh, that beat writer, it came like he was just doing his homework and it came to light that my misdemeanor that occurred the summer prior. So when my coach got wind of that, he immediately cut me from the team. I remember my mom, she was in Memphis off just like total coincidence. She was in Memphis at the time. They told me I had to be out of my dorm by I think it was like a Sunday or or a Monday. And I had to be out my dorm by Tuesday. So I didn't have anywhere to go. My mom was just, you know, three hours away, just off of coincidence, total coincidence. And because uh, she was coming to visit me because we we're going to play Kentucky that Saturday. So I'm moving all my stuff out. 
And at the time, things are looking super bleak. You know, I get on ESPN and I see my name on the ticker. You know, Eric McClellan dismissed the whole nine, the whole story and everything for like weeks at a time. I've never been depressed really or, you know, anxious. And I was just numb to it. I couldn't believe it was happening to me because everything that I've learned, everything that I went through was preparing me for, you know, moments ahead. But I wasn't ready. My actions proved that, you know, I wasn't ready for the goals that I've set. You know, basketball was going well, but I wasn't ready. I wasn't I wasn't mature enough to sustain a certain level of success or lack thereof. I wasn't ready as a as a young man. I wasn't ready for that responsibility. So I go I go home first and we're trying to reevaluate everything. And there's schools calling, there are schools interested, but no one's fighting for my future. You know what I mean? They're just they're kind of trying to half-ass it. You know, they don't really know what's going on. So I go up to Michigan. One of my friends, he graduated from Tulsa and uh, he was a coach at uh, Lalamere Prep School up in Michigan. So I go there just to stay focused, stay in shape, kind of collect my thoughts, continue to work and, and, and craft. Tommy Lloyd shows up out of nowhere. And, you know, first he calls me and then he comes to visit out in Michigan. Tommy has his whole plan laid out. How am I going to get into Gonzaga? You know, what's it going to take? What's it going to look like? What are the in and outs? Uh, what are the aesthetics? What do I have to do? You know, reshape my image. Can he trust me? Can I trust him? Um, and it was a lot, man. You know, this <laughs> this university fought for my future. I could have easily been, you know, somewhere Juco or I mean, and it's not like they needed me. Right. Coach View and Tommy, they're two of the most respected names in all of college basketball. Why would they risk their reputation on? On a kid like me, just, you know, they didn't know me, but they just knew what they saw. So there was a bunch of bunch of stuff that I had to do. I had to collect my eight. I, uh, I had to collect my AA degree. So I was taking class from Spokane Community College in Austin. And it was from, I want to say, March to August. I took about 14 classes. It was either 12 to 14 classes to get my AA degree. So March, April, May, June, July, August, and six months, 14 classes. And it was a lot, but it was, I mean, it deemed to be necessary and deemed to be worth it. And that's why I speak so highly of this, this institution, man, because the people here are special. You know, the, the day, the years don't happen without the days. And I think the most underrated characteristic of this whole, this whole place, this program, this institution are the people. The people are just, you know, they genuinely care about your well-being. They care about your growth. And um, I couldn't have landed in a better spot. Uh, I mean, this is my home. That's a cool story. I always wondered why you come back to Spokane every offseason. And that's got to be a big part of it, huh? Yeah, man, it just makes sense. You know, and, and especially in terms of what I'm aligning with right now in terms of my career. You know, I could easily go to Austin or somewhere else and be distracted and, you know, be around friends. but that's not my aim right now, right? My aim is to continue to grow on and off the court. Like I said, the people here, my friends are here, my resources are here. I get to play basketball every single day. I get to be around people that, you know, I love and I care about people that I haven't seen in years at a time. We get to catch up. I mean, 
and you know, Spokane is the most beautiful place to be in the summer. So it's an easy, easy decision for me, you know, given, like I said, given what I'm aligning with and where, I, where I'm at in my career, it's a no brainer for me to be up here during the summer. Well, you mentioned the idea of not being distracted. And I think that's you to a T. You know, I think when I talk with you, I never see your eyes shift in other places. You never seem distracted. And then when I think about your workouts, you are so meticulous with the way that you take care of your body and your consistency. And I would love for you to kind of go through what the day in the life of Eric McClellan is when you're here in Spokane. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so a typical day, I, w- I wake up around seven o'clock, make a smoothie, get some breakfast in me. If I got to if I got to go, if I have to jet, I'll just make a smoothie and I hit the gym. So the last couple of summers I've been doing jump training at U district. And we usually do that around six 30 in the morning. Once I'm done with that, I'll go to GU around probably eight or so lift, depending on whether, whether or not managers are free, we coordinate a time to get on the gym or get in the gym. That'll be around probably, let's just say 12 or one. So like, on Tuesdays and Thursdays this summer, I haven't been home until like 12, maybe, just because I get up pretty early around six, jump train, go to G lift. Like I said, depending on whether or not the managers or GAs are free, we get on the court for about an hour, hour and a half, and then I go home for lunch. Typically just chill, go stretch. Now I'm getting back into the groove of things where it's two a days. So I come back here around six or seven if I'm not training other kids around the city and I work out again, but it's pretty, it's pretty monotonous <laughs> and it's pretty routine for me, but that's a typical day. So at this point in your career, are you just working on how do you maintain your skills or maintain your athleticism or are you actively trying to improve on certain aspects of your game? Well, I mean, it sounds cliche, but I'm not, I'm not where I want to be at all. There's things that I do well, but not well enough. And the things that I'm not as good at, I want to be able to focus and hone in on. And that's the, that's the most important thing I want to say every all season for me is to, again, have an honest conversation with myself, watch film, look at my numbers, seeing where I could have been better, seeing where I can improve while also maintaining this steady uh, foundation that I've built. I don't think I'm perfect in one area. I do have my strengths, but I also have a lot of weaknesses. While I, I would like to maintain what I have built. There's a bunch of things in the offseason that I focus in on. Obviously, shooting is a part of every offseason regimen, but just being, you know, being more efficient, having to make better reads, being stronger with my left hand, my weaker hand, uh, being better defensively, you know, all around. I mean, I honestly sit down with myself. I watch film and it's uncomfortable at times, right? Because you would like to think that, you know, what you're doing is good enough. But if you're serious about it, which I think I am and which I would like to think I am, um, I have to be honest with myself. And there's a bunch of things that I have to be better at. But that's, you know, that's the good stuff. You know what I mean? That's the good part. You get to improve. It's not always daisies and roses. But at the end of the tunnel, you're happy with that. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like a hotel room you ever leave a hotel room and then you come back too early in the you know the maids are in there they're still working and it's still filthy it might have been even dirtier than where you left it well it has to get messy before it gets better you know what i mean like 
So for me, when I watch film and I'm turning the ball over or I'm not shooting as well, it's like, okay, this is hard to watch, but I have to go through this if I want to improve. I have to. I have to go through these growing pains. And then at the outset, you're happy because now you can create a plan and you can carry out that plan and you can see you can see your work coming into fruition by the foundation of you know just preparing your off season and what do you want to work on what do you want to focus on where are your weaknesses and having people having people to, to to help you as well man i mean that's that's the biggest part i mean that's one of the biggest parts for me having people to 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 really assist you and i mean there's no there's no Eric McClellan professional basketball players without, you know, people in the background that, you know, people don't see whether it's coaches, GAs, managers, significant others, family members, you know, it's not just me doing the work. It's, it's a bunch of people in the background as well. So when did you learn that level of work ethic? Did you have that when you were in high school or college or is this kind of just keep going? You keep dialing it in every year that you're a pro? Well, first, I mean, I really subscribe to you're either getting better or you're getting worse. Like there's no, no in between. And I obviously had a role model in my mother, just observing how hard she worked, what her day, day uh, what her daily uh, routine was. And it was, you know, completely unconscious, but I saw it. Right. And just observing her, she taught me how to go get it but no one taught me how to sustain it and how to keep it. That's been the challenge, right? That's been the challenge for me. Just, you know, I worked so hard to get here. You know, why not work hard to stay here? So the magazines, the, the books, uh, the mentors, the, the YouTube, just anywhere where I can find inspiration and just figuring things out, man. Just, I want to be able to figure things out. I want to be able to problem solve and, one of the underlying characteristics of all these successful people that I've ever read about was obviously their diligence and work ethic. And I've seen it with my own eyes. That's what has helped me as well, where it's like, okay, well, I really, well, I'm really able to lock in to something and I'm really able to focus. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen it work. And it, that works for me because I believe in the science of things. I, I like to know why things are the way they are. And it's not one size fit fit all, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat. But as it pertains to, you know, my craft and basketball, and this is anything, this is anything for anyone trying to be successful. That work ethic and that discipline, it, you know, it has to be one of your foundation uh, building blocks. It just has to be, at least for me, that's been the case. And there's no way I could sit here having played high school basketball, having played high level college basketball and being a five year pro and, you know, tell you that I can just show up whenever I want because I'm good at basketball. That's not the way it works. Not for me. You know, if I take a day off and my body needs it, I feel guilty that I took that day off. I feel like I'm getting worse. You, you know what I mean? And that's another, that's another topic, but that's, that can be counterintuitive as well. But, that work ethic piece has to be a part of your foundation. <laughs> there's no secret sauce, man. Seriously, there's no secret sauce. Just putting in, for me, meticulous, specific work and carrying it out. And you, you're able to see the fruits of your labor. I've seen it with kids that I train. I've seen it for myself. I've seen it for my teammates. You know, I've seen it for guys 
<laughs> have come through here. You know, guys like Joel. Joel was close to being, you know, shipped off somewhere. And he stayed down. He stayed down. He stayed locked in. He was he was intentional. He had this strong conviction about him and his game. And four years later, he's an All-American. Right? So we see it all the time. We see it everywhere. And the stories are amazing. But that doesn't happen without the work ethic. It just doesn't happen. How important is nutrition in that puzzle? It's the one piece that completely changed my basketball. And especially in college, my work ethic has always gone up another notch because we always think we work hard until we see someone else working harder. And that was the case for me. In high school, I thought I worked hard. I thought waking up at 6 a.m., getting on the track, getting in the weight room, you know, skipping lunch and going to the gym and staying after school and doing all these things until I got to college. Then I was like, okay, now this is another level. And then I went to Vandy and I saw John Jenkins work. I'm just like, no. I'm not there yet. So I always worked hard. I was always lifting, but I was always skinny, man. Like I've always been super skinny, but I was wiry strong, but I, I couldn't put on any weight. And I was always wondering that because I was always asking my, uh, my strength coaches what I could do, if they could create a meal plan for me, you know, what, what am I doing wrong? Until I saw the McDonald's uh, documentary on Netflix, Supersize Me, I think. I didn't realize what I was doing to my body because I was eating my freshman year, sophomore year, and halfway through my junior year. I was eating like fast food four times a week. I was eating candy every day. I was drinking sodas every day. And I didn't know what I was doing to my body because I was like, okay, I'm working out still. I'm sweating it out. You know, I'm still lifting. I'm strong. Still eating salads <laughs> a couple days out of the week. So I'm fine. But I didn't know what all that, all that processed food was doing to my body, all the sugar was doing to my body, the soda, it was killing me. And I had broke my foot at Vandy as well. And I broke my foot again here, my first. So I had to sit out my, my first semester at Gonzaga and uh, my foot was fractured. And then after that, I started doing my own research, my own diligence. And when I cut out, the soda, when I gave up the candy, when I gave up the Swiss rolls, the Sour Patch Kids, when I stopped eating fast food and started cooking dinner uh, in my apartment, my body literally transformed in like two or three months. So my junior year, I went into the offseason, 184, like 9% body fat, 8% body fat, which is ridiculous because I'm already skinny. I cut out everything, no sugar. No sweets, a lot of whole foods, a lot of vegetables, a lot of fruits, nuts, berries, legumes, lean meat, you know, no pork. I don't eat pork. Uh, a lot of chicken, grilled chicken, turkey. And I came back, I want to say the first, no, the second week of August, we, uh, we measured everything, vertical, body fat, weight, everything. I was 197, 4% body fat. So I gained 13 pounds and I went down 5% body fat. And my body and my mind felt amazing. Like my mind felt clear. My body, I didn't have all these aches and pains that I had once before. But that's one nugget that I can give younger players. Fix your nutrition right now. If I had known that in my 
in my high school days and in my college day, uh, earlier in my college days, it would have unlocked so many more opportunities for me, I feel like. I mean, obviously, the, the practices are rigorous and they're tremendously tough, but my body was able to sustain us a whole season. Nicks are going to happen, but no major injuries. And ever since then, I haven't had a major injury. Ever since I had my first, my fifth metatarsal broken bandy and my fourth fractured here, I had any major injuries, no major injuries. And it's all due to what I put in my body, what I consume on a daily basis. That's, that's all there is to it. All there is to it. You treat your body right, it'll treat you right. You touched on the mindset piece. Are you doing any kind of studying, mentorship? Do you work with anyone? to be able to help with mindset besides the work ethic. You know, I know being in the gym will help with mindset. Making those changes like you did with nutrition and seeing the results will help with your mindset. But I've been watching the NBA playoffs. I think we've all seen Ben Simmons, a phenomenal player who has lost his confidence. And we know he can shoot, but he's doesn't have the confidence to shoot right now. How do you address that piece of your game? So I was introduced to yoga and meditation my senior year in college and the reason why i started meditation was not because i was anxious or anything i just thought it could uh it could give me an extra one or two percent as it pertains to my performance on the court what i didn't know was how much it would actually unlock my game we spoke about this before you know when i played my best basketball was when i didn't think of anything you know, I was just letting my body do, obviously I was reading the game. I was making decisions, you know, on the fly, but I was allowing my body just to do what it wanted to do. And, you know, when we hear about, you know, the 60 point games or the 50 point games, you know, oftentimes the, the, the player would tell the reporter that, you know, I kind of just blacked out. Right. I don't like my best games. I honestly don't remember because I'm so immersed in the game. I'm not thinking about what someone said about me. I'm not worrying about my last shot. I'm not worrying about what happened yesterday. I don't, I'm not worried about, you know, my toilet not working at my apartment. You know what I mean? I'm not worrying about anything. I'm totally immersed in what's between these four lines and what's in front of me. And that's something that, you know, I continue to struggle with, right? Because it's called med- meditation practice, not meditation perfect. I meditate daily. I have to. Like, it's a part of my, it's just a part of my daily process. And it's helped me become more aware, uh, more present, you know. And I, I used to fight my thoughts all the time. Like, oh, my God, why am I thinking this? Why am I thinking that? Until I realized, until I learned, well, those thoughts aren't there. Like, you're not supposed to suppress your thoughts you're supposed to notice your thoughts recognize them and then just let them go it's like weather like just let it pass instead of you know you can you can see the rain but don't judge the rain right why is it raining why are the clouds gray oh the rain's you know pouring on my car i just got my car washed just notice the rain and with that you know with that presence of mind you begin to realize that there's not much there for a tug and pull. You know what I mean? Like, there's no need, there's no reason to fight the thoughts. That's, I mean, and it sounds counterintuitive, but when when I drift off and I'm immersed in something and my mind's 
starts to drift off, I'm not tough on myself. I'm not, you know, I calmly bring myself back to the present. I smell what's what's around me. I I feel my toes and my shoes. I wiggle my fingers. Like I'm listening for sounds. And then I gently bring myself back to the present. So for me, that's helped me uh, tremendously. Just meditating, yoga as well, the spiritual practice of being balanced, the state of mind, being balanced, being sharp, you know, and everyone has their process, right? Everyone has their routine. I'm not advocating for anyone to meditate or do yoga, but it's done tremendous wonders for me. Tremendous wonders. And there, I mean, a lot of these things we're talking about, you know, basketball as it pertains just to, to the craft, but these things are lifestyle things that I'll carry on far beyond my basketball career. These are, these are things that I'll be doing for the rest of my life. How do you know when to hang up the shoes? When will, when will it be made clear to you that although basketball will probably always be part of your life, when is it going to, when is your professional career going to end? When I don't love it anymore, man, barring any, you know, crazy disastrous injury, when I feel like showing up to the gym is more of a chore rather than something I love to do, that's when I know it'll be time. I haven't had that feeling ever in my life, right? And you know the overseas grind, Mike. There's no way. I mean, there's a way, but it's going to be it's going to be filled with a bunch of frustrating days. But there's no way you could do what we do in any profession at any elite level, um, especially if you're a professional. There's no way you could do it if you don't love it. Because you're going to go through every challenge, every obstacle, every bump in the road. And I just tell, you know, I tell younger kids, can you go too much without being paid? Okay. If you go over there and you don't get the minutes that you think you should or could deserve, how are you going to react? You go over there halfway across the world, hey, you're going to have a Serbian coach in your face every single day and you're going to be practicing twice a day and you're not going to have the resources that you had in college and you're going to be alone and you're going to have guys competing with you at your position, same spot, and you have to see every single day. What happens when you have a bad game? How are you going to react? What if you don't have a car to drive? What if you can't cook for yourself? What if you don't have an Amazon Fire Stick or a PlayStation? You know, how are you going to keep your mind sharp? We have, as professionals, we have a lot more time than we did in college because of the academic piece. We're no longer in school. So what if you do have a PS5 or an Xbox? Are you just going to play back, uh, you know, NBA 2K, Call of Duty all day? What are you going to be doing to sharpen your mind over there halfway across the world? Yes, we have FaceTime. But you're not going to see your mom, dad, brother, sister for about nine or 10 months. Can you do that? There's a bunch of things to factor in when it comes to professional basketball. I can only imagine what they go through in the NBA. I can't speak on that. But what I can tell you is I've seen a lot of different situations in Europe. And it's not easy, man. It's not easy. It's not easy. But if you love it, and you give you give yourself space to serve the craft, and it'll serve you. That only happens if you love it. So, uh, again, another long-winded answer. But <laughs> when when I show up and it becomes a chore rather than something that you know I've always loved to do, I think that's what I know. 
Well, Easy, thank you so much for sharing your story and inspiring me and inspiring my son. It's just an honor to have you on the show. Where can the listeners find out more about you? Yeah, man. Uh, social media would probably be the easiest. So Instagram, Easy McClellan, Twitter. Twitter as well, Easy McClellan. I'm an open book. Whoever wants to collab, speak about anything, please never hesitate. I'm an open book. I love this. Now that's a wrap on episode 91. And we'll be on episode 100 before you know it. I've already had some great suggestions for who I should interview for the big day. But it's not too late to share your opinion. So hit me up on social media or shoot me an email at mike at hoopcommitment.com with any ideas on how to make the 100th episode special. And to all of you who are committed, well, earn your X. (laughs) 